0: Um, Ready? Colossians 3, if you're there. If then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ Who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is Greek Neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, mate.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Dan. If we haven't met before, just going to get that out of the way. Um, yeah, I know that what we're doing this morning feels all pretty ordinary, right? Because here we are, it's a rainy morning. There's just sort of a scattering of us in this room. Uh, it doesn't feel all that uh, stunning or exciting uh, in one sense, but I actually just really love what Rob said, that this, this really is just what the early church did. Um, they met, they gathered on Sundays. Uh, they devoted themselves, to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. That was it! And God did great things through it because he works through his word. Uh, And so right now we're going to hear the word of God explain to us. We're going to hear it unpacked as as I do that and walk us through this text. And God will do incredible things uh, in us and through us. So how about we pray that he does that. Lord God, I ask and we ask together that you would please open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word, things that challenge us, things that convict us, things that encourage us, things that lift us up, things that point us to the wonder and love and power and wisdom of Christ Jesus. We ask these things in his mighty name. Amen. Well, uh, since Rob has already done my intro for me, thanks for that. That's good. You can save a bit of time. (laughs) Uh, But uh, as as you've heard, one of the things that this book, Colossians, uh, does for us is it asks the question, what difference? does trusting in Christ make to my life? Uh, Really chapters 1 and 2 are all about what Christ has done and who Christ is and then Paul sort of turns a corner here in chapter 3 and it's like the rubber hits the road. What difference does this actually make? And not just for us today but also for the ancient Christians, those to whom this was first written, Christians in Colossae. And I just want to show you a picture here. Here we go. So uh, believe it or not, this is actually a wedding picture. Uh, Not a photo, of course, but a painting. Uh, This was unearthed in Pompeii in the first century. Uh, And of course, Mount Vesuvius erupted there in AD 79. So this is probably a wedding picture from about the time that this book, Colossians, was actually written. Um, And uh, unlike... Modern weddings, of course, you can't get thousands of photos from your wedding day just with the click of a camera. Like Sky and I have just celebrated our second anniversary, which is really exciting, and um, we have thousands of wedding photos. Some of which are really cool and awesome. We've got them up on our wall, and some of which you just go, "Oh, you know, that's just a he's he's done that in a quick scan of five photos." And yep, cool. It's just a little slice of life. You don't get any slice of life when there's no camera, and literally you're going to have a painting. (laughs) done. It's going to take hours. So you really want to put your best foot forward. You really want it to show something about yourself and about who you want other people to think you are, because you're going to put this up in your home, aren't you? So, looking at this ancient couple, what might we learn about them from their wedding photo? Well, not photo, their painting. (laughs) What might we learn about them from their wedding painting? What do you think? Give me a bit of feedback. Probably, yeah, they married young back then. What else? (laughs) Well, if you're going to sit and be painted for like eight hours, that's hard to pull a smile for that long. (laughs) Yeah, good, Sal, yeah. That's pretty good. That's like a good meta-observation, yeah, absolutely. Like the fact that they have a painting at all is a thing. Um, a couple of things there, you can see the guy is, is holding something. Uh, someone at 8.30 thought it was a microphone. Uh, it's a little bit anachronistic, but he's, he's actually holding a scroll. Uh, we don't know what's in it, but probably signifies that he was culturally involved or maybe even politically involved. Certainly, he could read and write. That's pretty significant. Um, the, he's wearing a toga as well, which is the, uh, a symbolic of Roman citizenship. So he's wanting everyone to know I'm a Roman citizen. I'm secure. I'm affluent. I'm part of this empire that will, you know, the sun will never set on. Um, the woman, uh, as you pointed out, Sally, uh, is well kept. They both are, but you know, her hair hair is well kept. She's wearing a nice sort of tunic. She also is holding something. Uh, it's a stylus, a pen. Uh, and she's also got a little uh, tablet, like not like an iPad tablet, but a little notebook. So she can read, she can write. Do you see the things that they want to convey to us? Uh, all these things that convey uh, security and convey elegance, that convey affluence. Uh, probably, though, this couple wasn't upper class, probably they were just middle class, and they're just, they're just reaching. They're wanting us to think really well of them by the world's standards. Now, just imagine that this couple who live kind of up the road from Colossae hears the message of the gospel. Imagine that they hear the good news that Jesus has come to save them just in prior history, like 30 years ago. He's actually come and lived and died. In fact, imagine if they hear something like these words from Colossians 1 that we've heard a few weeks ago. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins imagine they hear that imagine in fact they're some of the first people to hear that and they think, wow, this amazing good news that God has sent his son Jesus into our broken world broken by our sin, our rebellion against God and he has borne the judgment that we deserve so that now We are no longer part of the kingdom of the world and the sinful nature. By faith in Him, we can be brought into Christ's eternal kingdom. And they hear that and they say, Yes, I believe it. That's amazing that Christ has done that through His death and resurrection. Amazing. Praise God. They're now saved. But what does that now mean for their life? What does that actually mean for the way they live every day? What difference? does it make? Because this couple living in Pompeii and the church in Colossae, uh, they're baby Christians, right? Like literally first generation Christians. (laughs) They don't have any Christian mums and dads. They don't have any Christian grandparents. There's no legacy. They've just literally been taken out of the world and brought now into the kingdom of God, like we've just said. And they're taking their very first baby steps in that. A lot is gonna need to change, agreed? (laughs) There's gonna be a lot of difference that this has to make for them now that they've turned from one kingdom to another. And the same is true for us as well. Just like the Colossian church was filled with people like that couple who pretty solidly middle class but doing okay by the world's standards, our church is filled with the same, both at our 8.30 and here. Pretty solidly middle class people like me, like you, who largely are going okay, The world looks at us and goes, yeah, you know, they're doing pretty well. But a lot needs to change. (laughs) When we come to Christ, there's a lot of difference that this needs to make in our lives. Which is why now Paul turns to the practical side of things. This is where the rubber hits the road. And he's going to hit two big topics in this passage that every Christian, ancient or modern, needs to wrestle with. Would you like to know what they are? Try again, would you like to know what they are? Great, good. Just remember, you asked for it <laughs> by coercion. <laughs> the two topics that Paul hits are sex and rage. Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome to Wyoming, Church of Christ. What are we preaching on this morning? Sex and rage. This is so important. Because a couple like the one we've just met from Pompeii comes from a world that has very different values when it comes to these things. Very different values, very different expectations, very different culture around sex and around how we express angry emotions that we have. Uh, And our world is the same, right? This is why we need to hear what Paul has to say, what the scriptures have to say. Uh, And so uh, we're going to jump in here, uh, Colossians 3, 5. I'm going to give you a picture. What's this? Yes, an open grave. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Grab a shovel, go out the back, dig a hole, make it deep. Put whatever is earthly in you, whatever belonged to the old life, whatever belonged to the worldly life you used to live, into that grave, cover it up and never dig it up again. Put it to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And just notice here that as he begins to talk about this topic of sex and sexual desire, notice the different ways that he talks about it. First, sexual immorality. Notice he doesn't say put to death sexual desire. Right, because sexual desire is a good thing, God gives it as a gift, uh, it's, it's there for a reason, it's meant to actually draw us to a, a husband or a wife that we might be married and then enjoy uh, the consummation of that sexual desire in marriage. And that's a beautiful picture, it reflects Christ and the church, it reflects the, the unity across difference of man and woman, it, it reflects the, the commitment that God wants to bring to a married couple, it's a beautiful thing. So God doesn't say put to death sexual desire, but put to death sexual immorality. That is anything that goes against his intentions for the gift of sex. Put to death impurity. Put to death passion. And again, not your feelings. Right? Feelings are a good God-given thing, but, but put to death the sort of intoxicating lust uh, that just can't stop. Elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians, Paul uses this phrase, uh, the passion of lust like the Gentiles. It's the same word, pathos in Greek. Right? The passion of lust. So it's this intoxicating desire that you just keep giving into. He says, put that to death. Put to death evil desire. Put to death covetousness. And when this word is used across the scriptures, often it's talking about material things. So like the 10th commandment, um, do not covet your neighbour's wife or your neighbour's house or so on and so on. Um, But here probably the context is saying put to death that kind of sexual desire that is always craving for more. Whether it's craving for a new partner or it's craving for a new experience or it's craving for uh, more images or more videos on the internet. Put that to death. Now why does Paul talk about this with an open grave? Why does he say put these things to death? Is it such a big deal? Because you know my assumption will be that at least some of us here this morning are sort of going like this is just this is not a struggle for me. Like I've got kids, I'm running around all the time. I'm just too busy to to be distracted by this. Uh, or or like you know there's no problem with this. Isn't it just normal? It's fine. Why is Paul so serious? Why is he so full on? Well, here's the truth. First of all, uh, none of us should think that we're above this. None of us should think we're above this. Uh, Sexually speaking, every one of us either is messed up, was messed up, or is one big mistake away from getting messed up. Isn't that true? Like, none of us should think that we're above this, especially because of the world in which we live. Uh, Come back to the married couple that we met earlier on. Um, think about the world that God has saved them out of, the ancient Roman and Greek world. Uh, as it turns out, um, this painting, as I said, was discovered in Pompeii, and there was a Discovery Channel special some years ago that was called Sex in the Ancient World. Like, what a title, Sex in the Ancient World. You know. Someone's scrolling past that and going, oh, and then going, oh, and moving on. Sex in the Ancient World and they actually looked, they studied this city of Pompeii and went through all the buildings and, and like, you know, because obviously when Vesuvius erupted, it's, it's made this time capsule, essentially. What was life like back then? And what they found, really interesting, they found uh, 13 of these small rooms hidden away in buildings. They're just like a small bedroom-sized thing with, uh, in it, all that was in it was a crib, like a, a bed, uh, with a fresco painting on the wall, that had different sexual positions on it. And then graffitied under each of those was a number. So obviously you can tell what's going on in that room. Uh, And then they found 40 or so other rooms that were bigger that had the same frescoes on the wall with the same numbers, but this time more than one bed, multiple beds. So if you can imagine multiple people going in at once to do what they would have done in that smaller room. And this is just the normal world. Uh, It wouldn't be out of place for the man in this painting on the way home from work with his mates to go, hey, let's just duck in there. Let's have a good time. Let's blow off some steam. That would be quite a normal thing. Or you've got like a a garden party on the weekend, right? You're having a barbecue with your friends and there are slaves there. We talked about slavery last week from Colossians 3. Um, There are slaves there who are, I won't define the ages, but are young and both genders. And they're there to be used. Again, normal sort of thing in the ancient world. And it's interesting, the, um, the program uh, Sex in the Ancient World, it ended with this question. Was Pompeii the sexual capital of the world? What do you think? No, was the answer. No, it wasn't. Because basically every Roman city was like this. This was totally typical. So again, consider the world that this couple has been saved out of and now brought into the kingdom of God. Consider what has to change for them as they take their first baby steps as a Christian. Think about for us. I mean, the world we're in today obviously isn't all that different to the world back then. Just the opportunities look different, right? So think about access to pornography, you know, we talk about this from time to time as a church. But look, a bunch of my friends from when I was back in uni, they'd always just be talking about different videos they were finding, linking them to each other and, you know, I'd sort of just block, <laughs> I want to see that. But, you know, they would be flinging these things, oh, I found this, I found that, oh, you won't believe. Just normal, just normal. Uh, Sexualisation of, of women in the media. Um, Again, just normal, Uh, no particular limitations about how someone defines their sexual attraction or or their sexual identity, again, just normal in our world. And even if these things aren't necessarily considered good things, by and large, even if they're considered a little bit off or a little bit risque, it's kind of like, well, do what you want to do as long as you don't hurt anyone, and that's okay. Have you heard something like that before? So this stuff is just as normal in our world as it was back then. It's why Paul says in verse 7, "You know, in these things you once walked. In these things you once walked when you were living in them. Just, it's the normal way of the world. But the reality about these things is just because they're normal doesn't mean they're right or good or without consequence. Consider for example verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming because of these sins. It's awkward to talk about, but you know, sexual sin is so serious that it deserves God's judgment. Um, think about it just in horizontal terms, person to person. Right? Many of us know the uh, the the disastrous effects of what adultery does to a marriage and to a family, whether that's firsthand or we've seen it in a marriage. Uh, some of us know the, the sting and the pain and the shame of uh, having experienced sex without consent. Sometimes that even happens within a marriage, behind closed doors. Um, some of us might be aware of the exploitation of actors or actresses that's involved in the, the pornographic industry. Um, generally they're they're exploited horribly. And that's just talking horizontally. Think vertically then, because far and away the the worst thing about sexual sin is actually that it offends God. It offends God, the one who's given this great gift to be enjoyed within marriage, but we take it and use it self-indulgently. Because remember, every one of us either was messed up is messed up or is one big mistake away from being messed up and yes the gospel means that, that of course God forgives he forgives all our sexual sin past, present, future praise God he makes us clean and new but what difference does that forgiveness now make? Paul says put this sin to death because the wrath of God is coming and because you've been made new put it to death in fact the Puritans Uh, called this mortifying the flesh. (laughs) Talk about a a pretty confronting sort of phrase. Mortifying the flesh. A bit like how Jesus talks about gouging out your eye if it causes you to sin. Cutting off your hand if it causes you to sin. Obviously not literally. But mortifying the flesh is a similar thing. If there is something in your life that is causing you to be predisposed to this, something that is causing your sinful nature within you to to leap and want to take the opportunity... Cut it out. Cut it off. And the reason is because if we don't kill it, if we don't cut it off, then it'll grow. This is what sexual sin does. It's intoxicating. Uh, using pornography can be intoxicating. I won't go into all the details, but if you struggle with this, you know what I'm talking about. There's always more. Never satisfied, but there's always more. Uh, sometimes the dynamic even works a bit like this. Right? You do the thing. You feel guilty, then you feel ashamed about who you are. Oh, this is who I am, I've done this really bad thing. Um, and then you want to escape the feeling of shame, where do you escape to, back to the sin, right? And so you feel guilty again about having to do it, but worse this time. Then the shame sits deeper because, oh, I'm, I keep doing this. And then again, you want to escape the stress and escape the feelings. And it turns this cycle into a spiral that actually becomes self-feeding. Psychologists often talk about this, the the guilt and shame spiral involved with pornography. I wonder how many men in the Colossian church struggled with something like that. You know, not pornography on their computers or phones, because they didn't have those, but obviously with other opportunities that they had. Or maybe you're a woman whose husband hasn't been paying as much attention lately, and there's this guy at your work or around the place. And you know, he's looking at you like your husband used to. It doesn't anymore. And it's it's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit of flirtation. No one needs to know. Right? But it's intoxicating. Oh, I wonder what's what's gonna happen today. What's gonna happen? And then, you know, the the pain of this of course is that it can ruin families. But it also creates distance between you and your husband that, that makes things harder to resolve. This is what sexual sin does. It can't just stay managed over in a corner. It grows if it's left untended. And reverse the genders on that, right? It can be the woman struggling with porn, the man struggling with inappropriate attraction. Either way, this is deadly serious. Therefore, put sexual sin to death. How do we do that? How do we do that? Maybe what we need the most is what we fear the most. Maybe what we need the most is what we fear the most. And I know that that's just hard to hear when it's like we're in a small group and I can like eyeball every single one of you, okay? But I say this as someone who has been there, done that and worked through a bunch of this stuff. And I know the truth of this. Sometimes what we need the most is what we fear the most. I I, I heard a, a story... Um, Not too long ago, I was just listening to another preacher on this passage who was talking about a friend of his, uh, a guy married uh, with a couple of kids and uh, in ministry, senior pastor of a church. And he was struggling big time with pornography. Um, And he kept thinking, you know, I know this isn't right. I know this isn't who Jesus has made me to be. Um, But I just can't expose this. I can't lift the lid on this, the consequences would been too big. I might lose my wife, I might lose my position at church, probably I will. And so he thought, I'll, just, I'll keep this sort of managed in the corner, as it were, and try to just keep working on it by myself. And I'll pray to God and ask for his help, and hopefully I can just get it worked out. But the problem was, he kept doing that for another six months, and it just got worse, because it was just in the dark, and it was going through that guilt, shame, escape spiral. And So he decided after six months, look, I've hit a I've hit a crossroads. Either I need to walk away from this sin, or I'm I'm going to walk away from Jesus. It's going to be one or the other. And so he decided, I'll expose it. He went to his wife, told her just in general terms what was happening. Went to a couple of brothers, told them in in more detail what had been happening, um, and uh, and. Some of the consequences from that were he had to step down from his his role in church for a season. Um, But his wife stayed with him. Uh, They went and got counselling. He got some. They got some together. Uh, His church was really supportive, really helpful. He had some good brothers with him. And he came back to his pastoral role after a break to, to work it out. And that was the key to putting it to death in his life. The key was exposing it. Bringing it into the light. Uh, not just the light of, of God's forgiveness, which was already there, but the light of a, a brother knowing what was happening, holding him accountable, and praying for the good of his soul. Uh, James in chapter 5 talks about um, if any of you is sick, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Right, and we might even say, if any of you is sick with this, this sin and this addiction, confess it that God might bring healing. Maybe that's something you need to do. Maybe that's something you need to do to confess if you're a guy to another brother, or or if you're a girl to another sister. Now I know this is all pretty full on. Like uh, again, like I said, eyeballing, um, and this is enough for one sermon probably. <laughs> but Paul doesn't leave it there. He keeps going. Uh, he moves on from sex to talk about rage. And let me just give you another image. This is rage. Right? Toddler throwing a tantrum. Why is the toddler throwing a tantrum? The dog was in the way while he was trying to push the chair. That's why. (laughs) Here's another. Uh, The goat ate the goat food from his hand and so he just cracked it. Fair enough. I wouldn't let her drink the chemicals under the sink. Last one. He doesn't want to go, even though we've repeated told him, we're not going anywhere. It's great. Uh, in fact, that, that kid there is like the spitting image of my little brother when he was that age. I kid you not. Like The bowl cut, because we were kids of the 90s, the Thomas the Tank Engine T-shirt, and just the absolutely illogical tantrums. Um, my brother and I were, were actually sort of a contrasting pair in that sense. I say without any shame, I was the golden child. I was the absolute golden child. I did not throw tantrums like this. Uh, whereas when we went to the shops, like I'd be there holding Mum's hand and walking like that's because I like didn't have glasses at that time, couldn't see. So you know, I was forced to be the golden child. Um, but uh, he, you know, I want the chicken nuggets. We're not having chicken nuggets. He would then take his head and just repeatedly smash it on the ground, literally, right? Huge tantrums. Now, if we think about um, our our friends from Pompeii. Okay. Do you think they want to be known as the golden child, or the tantrum child? The golden child, right? And you can see that, you can see that in the way that they convey themselves here. Elegant, refined, got it all together. Okay. But, the thing about rage is that it takes many forms. It's not always obvious. Sometimes it's there beneath the surface, or it's behind closed doors. Certainly it might not appear on a painting on your wall. Take a look at the way that that Paul describes it here in verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And maybe to you, just as if you, if you like scan over those words, they all just sound like exactly the same thing. It's just rage, 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 anger, anger, anger. But there's, there's actually nuances to these things, so think about anger versus rage, for example. Anger versus rage. It's interesting first that Paul puts these as a contrasting pair. He's obviously trying to get at, well, there's something more here than just feeling a bit angry at someone. Right? because notice elsewhere in the Bible like Ephesians 5 Paul talks about um, be angry and do not sin it's possible to be angry and not sin uh, he says don't let the sun set on your anger right? so it's possible to feel anger but not be sinful it's, it's actually what we do with it and so here by contrasting him, I think what he's bringing out is the difference between what we might call anger and what we might call wrath which is this anger simmers and wrath explodes Anger simmers and wrath explodes, okay? So anger sits there under the surface and it's bitterness that's brewing at someone who's hurt you or someone you love and you just, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to close the case on that. I mean, they owe me and it just sits beneath the surface. Wrath is just, bah! <laughs> right? It's hit the point where you've just got to explode at them or explode about them maybe in the privacy of your car. I say that as someone who's done that. Malice then is a little bit different again. Uh, malice is to desire someone's harm. So you might never say a word to them. You might never do anything to them. But it's just, I'd love to see you get what's coming to you, right? So it's your fool of a boss who's just a slacker and doesn't get it and you're always working hard. Finally, he's getting his performance appraisal and you know that guy's going down and you're like, yes, right, that's malice. Or it's the neighbours who are just loud and always playing music. And, oh, and they get robbed. And guess what the robbers took? Their stereo. Right? woohoo Malice. Right, it's there. Again, this is something I've been struggling with a little bit just in COVID times. Um, just because you're at home more, And you hear sounds more. I've been confessing this a bit in growth group. Like, it's just more of a struggle at the moment, isn't it? I've been finding malice creeping up for me. Slander. Probably Australia's favourite pastime, right? We love the subtle art of the well-timed put down, especially if it's against a politician or just anyone in leadership, right? Like, knock off the tall poppy, bring him down to our level, preferably lower. Or it's laughing with the boys about how the old ball and chain is just letting your feelings get in the way of reality again. Oh, jeez, yeah. Or it's laughing with the girls about, oh, you won't believe what so-and-so said. Right? Slander. Sometimes we even do this with uh, what Paul calls obscene talk, more literally abusive language. So, so sometimes we get so filled with malice, so desiring to slander, so simmering with anger, so exploding with rage, that it comes out just in, in swear words, basically, right? Like torrents of them. Or maybe even just one here or one there, but it's this abusive language. Language intending to tear someone down in the way that's kind of cathartic, right? It's like, oh, that just feels good to say. But Paul says, Rid yourself of these things. Rid yourself of these things. Put them all away. The language here is, 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 is like you've got something disgusting. It's in your hands. It's you just "Ugh. Oh, chuck it away. Get rid of it," he says. "Oh, but it's normal. These are just normal human emotions. It, you know See where we're going with that? It's just normal. No. <laughs> On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. As we saw back in verse 6, uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that whenever we harbor ongoing anger against someone or slander them, you say, you fool, you idiot, we are murdering them in our heart. We're murdering this person that that has has been made in the image of God and therefore has has tremendous value and and love because of the way that God has made them and views them. We're murdering them. What will God do with murderers? He says, murderers have no place in my kingdom. The wrath of God is coming because of these things. Jesus says elsewhere in in Matthew 15 that, that we will be called to account for every careless word that we speak the wrath of God is coming and again, praise God that we're forgiven in Christ right? but what difference does that make? what difference does it make? and that's why Paul then talks about in verse 9 and 10 the positive side of why to get rid of rage and indeed any sin here's why verse 9, verse 10 do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Don't lie to one another. In other words, you know, be honest if this is stuff that you're struggling with. Don't hide it in the dark. Don't lie to one another. Rather, see that you have put off the old self. And notice how he talks there in past tense. You have put off. Not will put off or are putting off. You have put off the old self with its practices, you were in the world, you were part of that kingdom, you were living according to your sinful desires, you were, you were once against, uh, once against God, you hearing that? You have put off that old self. And by faith, you have put on the new self. Uh, these, are, these are realities. You have put off, you have put on. And the image here is of changing clothes, right? Put off, put on. Uh, you've taken off the old clothes and now you've put on the new clothes. Like uh, You might remember earlier this year, or was it late last year, there was that torrential rain here on the coast that like, damaged a bunch of roofs and, and caused a bunch of... For us, we got a leak in our roof. Um, it's the first time that we got a, a leak in our roof, and I noticed the stains that were appearing on our ceiling, so I thought, oh, great. like It's pouring and blowing a gale. Like, I've got to get up into the roof and, and fix this thing. So I get up there in my daggers clothes, Okay? And it's filled with cobwebs. I've never been up there and properly crawled through there before. Why would I? You know, so I go up and I'm just covered in cobwebs. I'm going through and, oh, jeez, oh. And then the, the dirt and the dust is all caking onto me. The water's dripping down on me. And so I come out looking worse than sin, which is exactly the image, right? Take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. And, and here's the reality of that at the cross that's exactly what Jesus does for us he takes our old sinful self the one that was set against God and, and sinning in all of these different ways that we've seen described and takes those clothes and wears them himself he takes those clothes and is judged in our place and then he gives us his righteous clothes he clothes us with his own identity his own righteousness so that now we're a new self in Christ and for the couple from Pompeii that we met, you know, they're actually saying, perhaps, the old me took this painting from our wedding and put it up in the wall for everyone to see. We wanted everyone to know how we had it all together. But now the new me in Christ sees that that painting was not at all accurate. In actual fact, we probably weren't wearing a nice Roman toga. We were wearing spiderweb-covered, dust-caked, wet, sopping look like sin clothes. Right? That was us. And probably we weren't just staring at the camera with our little book and our little scroll, right? We were we were probably yelling at each other in that real slice of life painting. Or, you know, the dude's looking out at the side at another woman and the the woman's gossiping off to the side to a friend here. Right? That was us. That was the accurate painting. But now in Christ we are a new self. We are a new self. It's happened by faith. Therefore, put sin to death. Chuck it away. Not so that you become a better person. Right, this is what the world says. Be better. Rather, be who you already are. Be who you already are in Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You have been seated with him at the top of the chapter. Now, this isn't be who you already are in the sense that sometimes the world says, which is, hey, you know, Dan Kenny, you're just amazing and you're special and just be true to yourself. You know, the Disney sort of thing. It's not that. It's, it's you are a sinner, but now have the clothes of Christ. Be true to who you are now in Christ. Be true to your new Christ-given identity. And praise God we have that. Now, of course... Um, putting sin to death in light of this identity is not a, a once and done sort of thing it's, a, it's an over and over it's putting the sin to death every day hence in verse 10 um, we're being renewed so there was the past tense we've put off and we've put on but we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator so even though we are now the new self it's a sense of we're, we're increasingly coming to reflect that reality um, in, in who we now are um, but this is the motivation to put sin to death Don't miss that. It's because of now who you already are in Christ. And So here's where we land things. If you are in Christ, will you choose to be who you really are? Will you choose to put to death today and over and over any sin, let alone the sin of sexual immorality and of rage? And let me just give us two practical things you might do with this. One is perhaps uh, you need to remind yourself of who you really are. Uh, If you have indeed come to to trust Christ, to forgive your sin, take God's judgment, how can you remind yourself of that reality? It's like as Rob sometimes says, the indicative leads to the imperative, right? How can you remind yourself of the indicative, uh, the things that are true about you that then lead to obedience to God's commands? Um, One thing you could do is because Colossians is built on this, you know, chapter one and two are the indicatives, the things that are true about Christ and true about you, and then chapter three and four are the imperatives, the the commands, here's what to now do. What if you go back and read chapter one and two this week? Just go back, have a notebook, have a piece of paper, have a thing on your phone, whatever, and just jot down every time you see any statement about who you now are in Christ, which might be, like I see what this says about Christ and now I appropriate that truth for myself because I'm in him. Or it might be a a clear statement, here's who you now are. Go through and do that and then once you've been through chapter one and two, pick one of those truths and write it down and put it somewhere that you will notice it every day. Could be just on a little post-it note on your bathroom mirror. Uh, Could be like a, a, this is lame, but like a a note sticky taped to your steering wheel. Right? It could be, go on to, um, on your phone, Canva, if you've heard of Canva. It's just a little graphic design program for dummies like me, like you just go on and it makes wonderful looking things. Go on and put like a key verse on Canva and then make it your phone background, make it your computer background. Have it something that reminds you of who you really are. How can you remind yourself of who you are in Christ? Or, if you're not yet a Christian, what could be true of you if you were in Christ? And as you do that, just see what the Lord does to help you in your everyday decisions to put sin to death. So that's the first practical thing. Here's the second. Uh, on the other hand, perhaps, just as we've been talking this morning, there is a particular sin that God has just been bringing to your mind, perhaps. And you notice that that's happening, and you're like, anything but that. <laughs> you just sort of, I want to push that aside. Well. Oh. Um, One thing I do want to say is that I don't believe God wants to squash you this morning. I don't believe that he wants to crush you. Um, Actually, I think that he's inviting you to be free. I think he's inviting you to experience change, to put this sin to death and throw it away and and finally experience what it it is to walk with Jesus. And um, look, maybe something has actually come up for you because of COVID, um, like stress is running high, spending more time at home, it's just there's more time for being distracted. I was talking with a good friend not too long ago, really strong Christian brother, who um, has just found like all this old stuff he used to deal with way back when that he, he moved through and has really matured, um, has just come back for him. Because he's spent more time at home and spent more time by himself and had more time to be idle and there's more simmering frustration from noise around the place. You know, it happens. And so maybe there's something that's just there for you at the moment that you're having to deal with, and the question then is how will you respond to that? Will you put this into death today? Um, And perhaps what you fear the most is what you need the most. If this is you, tell a brother or sister what's going on. Remember, every one of us struggle. Every one of us has our thing. Uh, Whether it's pornography or inappropriate attraction that's developing to someone simmering anger arguments behind closed doors hateful comments you've been making now's the time to bring it to life or bring it to light rather be who you are in Christ and put sin to death let's pray Lord, uh, yeah, thank you for this passage that, that is, is a hard word but also a necessary word and just pray Lord that you would take this and, and use it to continue to bring transformation among your people including me In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in communion now.